Welcome to Through the Corporate Glass, a podcast that explores career choices. Welcome to another episode of Through the Corporate Glass. I'm your host Ashwini. Have you wondered what product management involves? What drives challenges, motivates product managers? What skills do you need to consider a career in product management? And how do you actually acquire these skills? To answer these questions and share his insights gained over two decades in this field, we have with us Luke Congdon. Luke is a director of product management at Nutanix. He's also a featured speaker at the product school and a graduate business network advisor at Santa Clara University. He writes a wonderful blog on all things product management, which is an excellent resource for anyone who's trying to learn anything about this field. We will reference his blog in the show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Luke, and we really appreciate you making time for us. Great. Thank you, Ashwini. It's a real pleasure to be here. So I'd like to start out with the most basic question. What does it involve being a product manager in a technology company? I would say that the most simple, most concise way of describing the mindset for product managers is the question, why? So you may come to me and say, I need, I need red, white, and blue you know, cover, covers for my server. And the first thing I'll say is why? And it's not because I, I want to push you away. I actually want to understand what, what problem are you trying to solve? Because you know, if you look at any, any technology PM and any engineers, we actually share a lot of the same tools. So a, a really popular tool over the past like five plus years is Jira from Atlassian. So in, in the, the backlog of stories or entries or just requests from customers in Jira, you know, for example, you could have easily a uh, thousand or 10,000 entries of things people you would like to do. Right. But as an engineering company with, let's say, let's say I have 200 engineers quote at my disposal for, for leveraging and building things. I might still only be able to build like 10 significant things a year. And that's, that's still with a really excellent uh, engineering team because it takes time to build, scope, deliver. But if the PM starts with the question, why, I'm going to help to understand of these 10,000 things, what am I going to boil down and find out what's the really important problem to solve? A difficult problem is worth money, it's worth customer adoption, and it might be worth customer love and adherence to your product. At a high level, does product management actually involve the requirements definition? Or how would you say the day of a product manager actually gets split? So once I understand the customer really well, which will include customer interviews, reading about the industry, getting to know my product really well, choosing the right problem to solve, which both matters to my product, matters to my customer, matters to my company, you start to get the union of these things, then the PM's job is to adequately convey the why to the business and to engineering so that you can mutually make a decision. This is the thing we're going to do. Now, it looks, it looks pretty simple when they say, I'm going to do this and everyone nods their head and goes forward because they see that you've understood the problem, you've documented it. And depending on the kind of company you're in, that document might be a product requirements document. And then you, you bring it to market through the development process. My job is to figure out what's the problem, what do we need to solve it, and by the way, there's a really clear nuance here when I go, what, what do I need to solve it? If I told you, because you're an engineer, um, and I said, we're going to solve this with uh, C++ and you can write this other part and go. And, you know, by the way, I don't know, put it on this particular hardware. You're, you're most likely going to put your hand up and say, uh-uh, that's my job. <laughs> 
and, and, and actually that's where a lot of early PMs kind of kind of make a bit of a mistake. If you understand the problem, you document what you need to solve the problem, but not how. Right. Engineers determine how. So yeah, but I don't really care if you do it in Python, Go, Perl, Haskell. I don't, I don't care what you use as long as product quality is high and it solves the problem. Absolutely. But but I think you made a really interesting point about the question of why. So it's not really just gathering the data about, you know, what the customer in, uh, expects, but in some sense, you need to read between the lines. Would, would that be accurate or is, is that more of intuition? Intuition helps, but I only like to use intuition or gut feel towards the end. And in fact, you're, you're hitting on a point I really care about. In the absence of do, doing good customer discovery, you might rely on gut feel. And you might occasionally be right, but if you only rely on gut feel, you're going to make mistakes because you are assuming that you know the customer and that maybe you are the customer. Yeah. And depending on your previous career, maybe you used to be the customer. Right. You know, we have a lot of great uh, product managers who used to be sales engineers or occasionally used to be salespeople, but usually sort of technically oriented. Customer discovery means talking to customers, hearing what they want. And if let's say 100 customers tell you they want 100 different features, how do you choose? Well, yeah. once, you, once you start uh, getting more, more requests or more asks, you start to collate the asks, you start to understand, okay, what's it mean to my industry? And then as you dig deeper, like a, what a really great way to uh, interact with customers is ask them questions, then ask them why again, then ask them why again. You can do it in different ways because what's frequent, especially in an industry with existing products, is that customers may say, give me feature X by your, by your biggest competitor. That's what I want from you before I'll consider using your product. But that's not necessarily always what they want. People think of things in the framework of what they've seen already. And sometimes it may be true. They want exactly that. And other, other times they may actually be needing to solve a slightly different problem, or in some cases, a very different problem. They just don't know what to call it. So when you look at a, a large accumulation of requests or asks, you have to think to yourself, okay, what's what is the, what is the through line look like here and what's actually being requested? And that's, that's why I'm a big fan of direct discovery. Talk to the customers. And one of the challenges I see that people who are nervous to talk to customers or uncomfortable, or they're not talking to enough customers is they rely on customer proxies. Uh, and a proxy, for example, is talk to the account team or the, or the SE. And I'm actually a big fan of talking to the SEs, but they're still a proxy. They're a voice between you and, and the customer. So while that's a great voice, you need to talk to the customer as well. And there's there's a lot of ways to do that, whether it's responding to support cases, reaching out to them directly, talking to the account team and getting an intro, not just the account team's uh, summary of what their request is, and really dig into what's the thing they ask for and why do they want it. And then until the point where you annoy them to death, you can actually just keep asking them different forms of why to really find out what do they need. You know, you're, you're a network engineer. And you know, for example, network connectivity, I need the internet between those two, two sites. Well, all right, that sounds, that sounds uh, pretty normal. But for what thing? Uh, because sometimes a, sometimes a simplified or kind of degenerate use case might actually be just fine. Could I take a hard drive and put it in the mail and mail it over there? <laughs> like, do I, do I need to stream that data over there? Right. Maybe I, maybe I don't. In, in which case, am I solving the right problem? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, uh, Luke. And and for our listeners who don't who are not familiar with this area, I guess SE is basically the sales engineer. And as you were talking through this situation, I have personally encountered this as well. And I I, I know it's very true that sometimes uh, you use a hammer where it, you don't actually need to uh, yes. solve certain issues. And and I I just can't you know avoid 
mentioning Henry Ford over here, he said, if I'd asked my customers, they would have said, I want a faster horse. They wouldn't have actually imagined a car. So, so given this loop, do you think to be a product manager, is there a deep insight that you need into the field to be able to make these judgment calls? And is that something you can learn over time? Yes and yes. So it depending on the product that you're working on, let's say you're working for a toothpaste company. You could be the product manager for the, the next version of Minty Fresh Toothpaste, in which case that may sound like a, a pretty straightforward product, but you'll, you'll need to get to know your competitors, your business, your consumers, the ways you go to market. Uh, why do I need a, a 15th version of Minty Toothpaste? So you definitely need to get to know that. Now, in, in my world, since I, I work in high tech, a lot of people will ask me, well, how much technology do I need to know? Yeah. My response would be, well, if you're working on a technology product, you at least need to know the technology related to that product. You know, just a minute ago, we said you're a network engineer. So if you were to work with me, I need to know enough about networking to convey reliably and critically what the customers say back to you. Uh, you know, sometimes I think of a PM as a universal translator. You need to do more. But listen to the way customers just describe things, understand what it means, convey it to you. You're smart, so you're not going to have a problem with that. But the way the engineers think are sometimes different the way the way customers think. Mm -hmm. So knowing the knowing the technology basics, or maybe more than the basics, is going to be pretty critical if I'm working on a technology company. And this comes up in a common question: Do I need a technology degree to get into product management? In technology. It most definitely helps to be coming from a technology expertise area like networking if we were going to work together, but it's not necessarily strictly required. But if you don't have that background, you're going to have to train into it somehow uh, because you still need to be able to understand your customers and speak to your engineers and get to the why, write that down and know enough of what you're talking about, hopefully a lot of what you're talking about to be helpful in that transaction. Absolutely. I'm going to quote this from uh, one of the blog posts that you had on your website uh, about the product manager being the CEO or mm. a CEO equivalent. I, I have an opinion on this. Somewhere back in the day, somebody said that the product manager is the CEO of the product. And I, and I think it was Ben Horowitz. He's famous for Andreessen Horowitz Venture Capital Company. And I actually think that's not true, but I still like the expression. And I like the expression because a product manager needs to know more than just a product. You need to know why your business, who your competitors are, what your business model in, is that you're in. And what does that mean for the way you're going to build your product? If I'm a channel company, which means somebody else is going to sell the product for me, like Best Buy. You know, if I make a radio and I sell it in Best Buy, I'm not selling it myself. I just make the radio. It still has to meet customers' needs, but someone else is going to handle that transaction for me, which means... Um, they're going to earn money. I'm going to earn money. It's just a value chain that that needs to come together. So I'm not the CEO because the CEO can do things I can't do. The CEO can raise money for the company. The CEO can hire or fire all kinds of people in the company. If I'm the manager, I might, I might have that decision power for someone on my team, but I'm not making massive strategic uh, company bets for the company. I'm not deciding if we're going to go into the auto industry or if I'm going to bring on a new uh, SVP of sales or not. Uh, so the, the CEO can most certainly do things I can't do. But I like the mentality because if I think about the business holistically with respect to my product, the CEO hat says, I'm thinking about everything. I'm not just building features. And by thinking about everything, you're going to approach the business of your product differently. And I think that's really valuable. Great. I think that kind of clarifies what product management is and also what it isn't for, mm. uh, you know, for anyone who's looking at it. 
now stepping back a little bit, Luke, what actually motivated you to get into product management? It's a, it's a bit of a long story that I'll try to cover succinctly. I did not know I was going to do product management when I started my career. I actually had a marketing degree undergrad, and I quite honestly thought I would do marketing. And in the first couple of years, had someone give me a marketing opportunity to start my career, that's probably what, what I would have done. But I started my career. I moved to New York City for a few years. The internet was not brand new, but it was still very young back in 1997. And there wasn't that much content on it and certainly not as dynamic as it is today. And I was curious. So I had gone into uh, commercial banking. I had tried a few things and I was, I was not really enjoying that. It was, it was a job. And uh, I took an HTML course and then I took a CSS course. I, I taught myself HTML4 by reading the book a couple of times. And I started trying things like making uh, wedding websites for my friends. And the more I got interested in that, I, I at the same time had an opportunity to move out west. Uh, which I did, and I landed in, in Sunnyvale, which for people not in uh, the Silicon Valley area is pretty much squarely in the center of Silicon Valley. And I got a job doing tech support for Yahoo back in 2000. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't paid that well. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of things, but it was a great opportunity to get started and be next to engineers and be in technology and get to know things. And I did that for a couple of years. I finished my graduate degree, and then I started in project management. And I thought that's what I really wanted to do. And I did it for a few years and I actually, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought I was good at it, but because I had taken some technology courses, I did something which I wouldn't strictly recommend to people today was I was working on a project that needed UI and I didn't have a UI team. So I built the HTML version of the front end myself. And I was really just doing it as a way to design what I thought it would should be. So when I shared it with the, the, the technical team who was going to build it for me, they did something I didn't expect them to do and they just took it. You know, line for line. And all they did was, was map it to soap commands in the back end. And so all of a sudden the UI that I built kind of for fun became the UI. <laughs> well, at the same time, I ran the project to get this, this data reporting service based on a, a business intelligence machine back end built up and running. And uh, it was a different time back then. I had to wait for pizza box service to show up. You know, they had to install web logic. I had to get the teams to do all the parts. It was a three-year process. But as I was doing that project and taking on way more scope than uh, honestly a project manager should. I actually wrote a PRD because I heard that was an interesting asset to make. I made the front end. I sold it to executives internally and they said, okay, you're funded. Go ahead and do this. Nice. I still thought I was just being a comprehensive project manager. So for about three years, I was doing this. And only when I started meeting friends of mine and realizing the sort of nascent, at least with respect to technology field called product management, I started realizing after three years, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm actually doing a different job. And there's overlap, but it's a different job. And then I just steered my career in that direction and uh, found more opportunities. That's amazing. So, so you, you almost did the job before you officially moved into the, uh, the role yes. title. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, what I would tell young people is, or young, career young, don't go build the UI as a way to get into product management. That, that's probably not the smartest use of your time, but definitely work on side projects. Work on things that, that expose your interests strongly, whether it's classes or side projects. I think you can definitely do that. But if you're in a project management job now, don't go build the UI just because you think it will help. That worked for me, but it was also 20 years ago. There's right. other ways. Right. I mean, so, so then what do you think are the fundamental building blocks that people should focus on in terms of assessing, right? If they have the aptitude to do this or if this is a career choice for them? You know, if I, if I overlay that question with how did I get into product management, 
And I look all the way back, you know, connecting the dots backwards. You know, I think about my personal story. My mom made drapes for a living. So she, she made things with her hands at home for 30 years. My, my stepfather did art restoration with his hands. He fixed things. He built things. He made art as well. And I think back and I go, oh, you know what? My whole, my whole childhood was filled with craftspeople, craftspeople that built things and other people they knew who did the same thing. So I learned how to make a lot of things with my hands growing up. And I just thought that's what I did. You know, you take your childhood for granted. But I realized much later, I was like, oh, I've always been making things and I really enjoy making things, you know, which, you know, that can apply to cooking, apply to a lot of things. So I think that's, that's the way it came from me. Now, if I think about somebody new, you know, sort of back to your question is what would I, what would I look for or advise them to do? Kind of, kind of a couple ways to think about that. Let's just take the framework of technology. If you're really interested in that and you're deeply interested and you haven't gone to college yet, or you're thinking of what to do. By all means, go study technology. You, you might get that computer science or engineering degree if that's the step where you are in your life. If you're not, it's, it's not game over. You can still do it, but you're going to have to start reading, investing, get to, get to know the areas you want to be in. And that can be a little more difficult if you're not entirely certain which area, because uh, technology is a pretty wide field in, in and of itself. But if, if I think from a different lens, when I'm looking at hiring people, people come from all kinds of backgrounds. I would happily take someone who was a network engineer into my team uh, or a computer science person or someone who had a really, you know, perhaps interesting and involved open source project they had been working on something. But the number one thing I look for is motivation. Are you passionate? Are you interested? Are you going to show up with with some level of excitement to do this? Because skills are trainable, but passion is not, in my opinion. That that's a fantastic way to put it, Luke. So I think it comes back to, you know, as you said, I mean, if you have the passion and the drive, you can, you can put in the effort to kind of make that leap. In terms of being uh, passionate, I'm guessing this is about understanding the space in which you're going to be a product manager. To deep dive into that a little bit, would you say that's more about, let's say, trying to read the latest and the greatest in that field and trying to look up other products in the field? How should people go about it? I, I, think, I think there's two questions. Once, once you're in the field that you want to be in, uh, technology is fast moving. There's always something new to learn. There's always a new language. Uh, there's always a new, a new exciting thing. People are building stuff all the time. Yeah. So that's challenging. Uh, you're, you're in a space that's always progressing forward. So you're going to have to read up and, and understand where, where that's going. And you can't read everything. So re- read the parts that interest you. Or if you think your product's going to move in a direction, go read about that. You know, from the from the server virtualization point of view, you know, serverless functions as a service. If you know what those are, I know you do. Or cloud computing, yes. or Kubernetes and containers. That's just you know, those have been kind of hot in the last four four or so years. Right. Uh, so that's that's a place where I spend time reading. If if you're just starting, you're not, and you don't know, follow something that interests you. Uh, I'll tell you when I when I got into virtualizations because I got a job at VMware. And uh, that was, that was very much jumping into the deep end of the pool and, uh, and swimming very hard to stay afloat because it's a very deep technology area, not dissimilar to Nutanix where we are, but if you had never done it and you never studied computer science, um, that was, that was a deep place to go jump into and you, you either swim or you sink and sinking is not, not the goal, but you're going to have to work to learn and learn and keep getting deeper. Absolutely. And I, I guess the other uh, facet of product management, as you mentioned, is the business aspect, right? So there's one part of it, which is the technology. So how about people in the opposite direction, people who have technical strengths and who have a background, but have zero business context? 
You know, you're kind of talking about a range. There, there's a famous Venn diagram, I think, by Eric Martinson that says that product management is the, the union space between business, UX, and technology. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're an engineer, you're starting from the strong, strong technology area. And maybe you haven't worked uh, directly with customers or directly on the business side. So it's, it's not really a different answer, depending what Venn diagram part is the most strong for you is go learn something about, about the about the other sides. Fortunately, that doesn't always have to mean go back to school. There's lots of things you can read. There's a lot of great management books. There's a lot of great online classes and massive online courses now, LinkedIn learning. There's tons of things you can do. But if you think that getting a degree is something you want to do, sure, go get a business degree or go or go study UX or take a class. I, I think unlike maybe years previously, people aren't necessarily requiring that you have to go get master's degrees just to qualify into a job. Um, right. But you may have to go learn, and there's lots of resources for that. Yeah, I guess that's what I would say for that. Then that's great. Thanks so much for demystifying product management for us, Luke. We will have a follow-up episode next week talking about breaking into product management. So stay tuned, listeners. Thank you, Ashwini, for all this time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Do send us your feedback at throughthecorporateclass.com and follow us on Twitter at corporateglass. You can also email us at feedback at throughthecorporateglass.com. We'd love to hear from you.